We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's Big Blue Banter, the answer to all your Giants matters. From run game to coaching to Bob Shepard's timbre. Hosted by Dan Schneier, analysis on fire. A Giants fan since day one, now preaching to the choir. Joined by Nick Filato, breakdowns with bravado. Passing you the facts like he passes on gelato. From just outside New York, a couple football dorks. A killer podcast when Dan says receiver corpse. They do the play-by-play, dropping almost every day. These experts know the X and O's just like Danny O'Shea. They do the review of the All-22, dissecting every throw. OCU Minora lit up in Venora when he was a guest on the show. So there you have it, a podcast for Giants fans who are rabid, who can't wait for Sundays, the NFC East, the Fantasy League standings. We'll see you back here. It's Big Blue Banter. Welcome back. It's the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined as always by my co-host, Nick Filato. Tonight, we are here to break down the All-22 Coaches Film Angle of the Giants defense against the Atlanta Falcons. And dare I say, they played a hell of a game. I don't care what the haters are saying. I love what I saw from the defense. Yeah, there were some mistakes, missed tackles, dropped interceptions, and penalties were basically the only things that held back this defense, in my mind at least. Couple bad plays in a run game. That's not much, though. Those things can be cleaned up. So I want to get into it, and I want to talk a lot about the defense. Before we do that, Nick, what's going on, man? And give me your overall takeaway from this Giants defense on film. Giants defense look good, man. I mean, the Blake Martinez injury is just devastating, though. I thought Tay Crowder filled in well, but I think that's going to be just such a miss this entire season for this Giants defense. Again, I, I try to keep it in perspective. It looked a lot better than the first two weeks, but at the same time, it's against Atlanta Falcons. Matt Ryan has just checked down Matt Ryan at this point. He's no longer really Matty Ice. They only allowed 17 points. I was pleased with the defense. There were a couple plays that we'll get into that ended up pissing me off, but again, it comes down to like literally one player making a mistake or one player not executing his assignment, which results into a huge gain that really just kind of sunk the defense and put the Atlanta offense into a position to score points. But overall, they were flying around man and they were they were hitting hard they were physical and that first drive we'll get into that in a little bit you know they really kind of try to set the tone on Atlanta that you're walking into our house and you need to beat us now but at the end of the day we all know that didn't happen sadly for me I'm disregarding the haters I think when you allow 17 points you did a great job as a defense and really there was only three possessions worth anything from that Falcons offense just three if you can hold the team to three worthwhile possessions in a game 
you should be able to win that game. You won't when you only score 14 points, but you should be able to. So like you said, I thought the run defense was great for the most part. I felt like the pass rush was there at times. I felt a lot of this, though, obviously was due to the fact that Ryan played, in my mind, Ryan's just no longer that good of a quarterback. He's checking down way too often, kind of has that Eli, you know, that Eli Ben Roethlisberger end of career type of thing. You're seeing it from Ben. You saw from Eli at the end. It's that tendency to quickly get through your progression. Don't even try to get hit, get that ball out to the back or get that ball out to the check down. Didn't really drive the ball at all down the field. Didn't drive the ball well in the intermediate range. I thought he missed some easy throws. There was a wide open in-breaking route over the middle for a first down that Ryan just totally missed through behind his receiver. I thought the ball placement in general wasn't excellent. thought he got away with some stuff. Even the pass interference to Pitts that set up that, that touchdown. Unfortunate for the Giants, but Ryan had to escape to his right there and lofted the ball across his body. That thing should have been picked, not pass interference. Tried that on multiple occasions, so part of it was the quarterback, but overall, I thought they came out with a better game plan than they had versus Washington, and clearly, I thought they made adjustments that helped them in this game specifically. So maybe you want to talk about that first, Nick. What did you see kind of schematically overall from this defense? So a mix of two high, middle-of-the-field closed defenses, rotating the safeties pre-snap. I saw a heavy, heavy uh, I guess you could say Kyle Pitts influence to where they would drop a safety from a two-high alignment pre-snap down to rob Kyle Pitts inside breaking routes. It seemed like the Giants were really cognizant of Kyle Pitts and did not allow Kyle Pitts to defeat them, and that's why Pitts didn't really have much going on until the fourth quarter. I also saw a lot of zone man-match principles, similar type of things that the Giants like to run. I saw a little bit of, I think, a Tampa 2 robber, which I don't believe we've seen yet this season. I think we saw one or two plays like that. Saw a nice double buzz type of play with a – single high safety the double buzz was at the sticks where they aligned with three safeties deep two of them dropped down to kind of play the sticks and it was man coverage across the board i like that kind of play call to kind of eliminate the seams and eliminate the inside breaking routes something the giants struggled with through two weeks so overall i like the giants defense this week i liked what they did we kind of already went over all of that but 17 points is not a lot but when your offense is scoring 14 it's just a bit too much yeah apparently um, yeah, I thought that was interesting. One thing I wanted to get your take on that, we have a three-game sample size, Nick. Here are the numbers from, according to True Media via Pro Football Focus. So, you know, big to do this offseason from Patrick Graham about, he doesn't believe you can win in this league unless you consistently run man coverage. He comes from that, you know, Patriot-style defense. This season, the Dolphins have run man coverage the most of any team, 55.3% of their plays. Ravens also have run a similar type style defense. Third, 39.7%. Second is the Chiefs with Spags. We know Spags from his Giants days. Loves to run man coverage. Third is the Patriots. So it's Dolphins, Chiefs, Ravens, Patriots. You would think that they made the big play to get Adoree Jackson. Signed him to a massive deal. The idea behind that was play a lot more man coverage. Adoree's playing. Bradbury's healthy. The entire safeties are healthy. And yet the Giants ranked just 22nd in man coverage with 21.6% of your play, their plays. What do you make of that? I don't think they looked that great when they tried to run a lot of man coverage in week one. And I believe they just picked their spots. They do it on third and intermediate, third and short sometimes. I feel like offensive coordinators do a good job creating rub and pick routes to release some of their receivers against the Giants' man coverage. So I feel like they are more comfortable with what they had success with in 2020, which was zone coverage and I also believe they have a problem in the slot 
because Darnay Holmes played like one snap in this game and their slot is kind of a rotation with Rogarius Williams, Julian Love, some of these other safeties dropping down to cover it. Sometimes they, they put James Bradbury in there if he wants to shadow, at least during the season they've done that. They used Dory Jackson on Kyle Pitts. So they're mixing and matching their personnel to, to try to gain an advantage. But I think there's still weak spots on this defense in the secondary, which sucks to say because the Giants spent a third-round pick on a guy who hasn't seen the field yet. But I think there are still weak spots in this secondary that the Giants don't want to fully commit to man coverage. And honestly, zone coverage, if you run it correctly, it's fine. If you if you have the right space down, if you, if you play the match defense and you are really, really on top of zone match where you're communicating with your adjacent defenders and allowing the receivers to kind of flow between and sticking to them when they're in your zone and passing them off and everybody's cohesive and on the same page that's all well and good it essentially ends up being man coverage anyways just more complex and with a better disguise overall pure man coverage the giants only run it two man under sometimes a little bit of cover one but usually it's a lot of just match whether that be zone match or man match type principles which are usually determined after the route distribution of receivers releasing off the line of scrimmage yeah you nailed it and i think Part of the issue that we're seeing now is just like you said, they're just not comfortable with these coverages just yet at this time, at least. And maybe it's something we'll see evolve. Do you think it's something we'll see evolve as the season goes on? I think they're running man when they want to run man. I mean, they can evolve it if it's working, but if it's not working and the stacks and the bunches are still giving them fits in third down, which we've seen this season, then they're not going to rely upon it. And they're going to go with something a little bit more creative and less predictable. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. And we can we can move on from that. Let's talk about the first drive on the defensive side of the ball for uh, the Giants. I thought I thought I saw a lot of single high looks, which I liked. Loved the third down blow up by Leonard Williams. What stood out for to you from this drive? I mean, they were flying around like crazy. Mixed too high end those single high looks, middle of the field closed defenses. Ran a lot of zone man match principles, like we said. And then Leonard Williams on this first drive. I mean, he had two good plays to get penetration and alter what. Atlanta wanted to do offensively. Leonard Williams, I mean, I, I didn't necessarily think he had a good game until I watched the All-22 and I saw the fact that he was having an impact more specifically as a run defender coming off blocks, shedding blocks, beating double teams, and kind of just being disruptive for the offensive line. I wish maybe we got a little bit more from uh, the passing standpoint. He did have a sack, but overall, I feel like Leonard Williams actually had a better game than I expected. Yeah, Leonard Williams had an excellent game against the run. The, the problem, the Leonard Williams conundrum comes down to this, though, for me. How much value, I guess I would say, are you adding when you're a dominant run defender for the Giants, but you're not all of a sudden, you're not always getting there often in the pass game? How much value? I mean, I would say you need to. With the, with the amount of money he gets, you have to be disruptive as a pass rusher. That's why you're getting paid. You're not getting paid to stop the run. You pay two down run stuffers like Danny Shelton, peanuts relative to other NFL players to stop the run. You need to affect the pass. And that's where his bread and butter is. That's why he got paid what he got paid. It's because he's an interior pass rusher who creates pressure that way and gets sacks. Had 11 and a half last year. He only has one this season. It came in this game. I would say this is probably the game where his pass rushing was probably, ironically enough, he got the sack. You didn't see him as much. In Denver, I felt like you saw him. In uh, Washington, he just missed getting a sack on Taylor Heineke. But in this game, it just wasn't quite there. I felt like the stunt and twist game of the Giants in this specific matchup 
was just sloppy. That's a lot of the time when Patrick Graham tries to scheme Leonard Williams open, he'll use a linebacker to kind of be the penetrator, hit the inside shoulder of a guard or a center to kind of free up the looper who's Leonard Williams to come around. But Carter Coughlin wasn't great in that role, I don't think. I feel like a lot of the the stunts just overall, whether that be tackle end or end tackle, were just a little sloppy and the timing wasn't quite there. The defenders were tripping over their own feet and it could just look a lot better and be more efficient, which we've seen before. It might just be a matchup thing and just the fact that they stumbled a little bit in this specific matchup. I don't think it's going to be a problem long term, but it's something I observed through the film. And so it's something that I asked because I would agree with you with your main point here. When I ask value that you're adding, it's you know, in today's NFL, how much value does it, you know, he makes these great run stops and they're consistent in his profile. You stop a good run, maybe you stop a team from gaining a first down, but ultimately that first down may not lead to anything. They get 10 yards. This is the, you know, this is the crux of the Jason Garrett philosophy. You're picking up two first downs and, and then you're punting. What is that gaining you? You know, one small first down of 10 to 13 yards is not really changing the game too much. When you're making $25 million against the cap, which he's going to be taking up next year, you got to be impacting the passing game in a major way like an Aaron Donald type does. Or a lot of these defensive linemen. Even a Chris Jones, I think, impacts the passing game a little bit more consistently than Leonard Williams. And so it just – this was a matchup. This Falcons line was struggling big time coming into it. We've talked to uh, Will – I'm sorry, I'm blanking on his name. Will, what was his last name? McFadden. Covered the Falcons for the team. Now he covers them for Believe Podcast. Really good, you know, really good keen mind for the team. He basically said, like, these guys have not performed up to their draft capital, and their interior offensive line was struggling, and this was supposed to be an eat game for Leonard Williams in the past game. And it just didn't seem to be. So, I don't know, I love that third down stop, but it's just, it, I feel like when it, we almost discredit, not discredit, but I just, I can't, I, I, I find ourselves getting a little very excited about the plays he's making in the run game over and over on the film and just not simply not enough plays he's making in the pass game. Uh, to speak for Leonard Williams, which I do agree, but it doesn't help when Matt Ryan's getting rid of the football in like a second and a half yeah, because right. he's not throwing the football more than 15 yards downfield. I think that's totally another fair. reason why this is happening. Totally fair. Right, let's get to the second series. Another three and out, or not three and out, but another quick punt forced by the Giants. Love the play on second down in the second series by Julian Love, who's essentially lined up in the box as a linebacker. He's the third guy in the box. He comes down and makes the run stop. There were two really good individual plays on this. Obviously, the third down PBU by Bradbury. That was one of the best plays of the game, I thought, by an individual for the Giants. Just to bat that ball out and stop that easy first down. It should have been a first down, and it wasn't because of Bradbury. Would have made a nice bounce back game in my my opinion to begin with we'll talk about that more but how about that julian love play on second down yeah julian love was was active i would say he had another play where he forced i think zacchaeus later in the game to drop a ball forced a pbu which ended up being a penalty because matt ryan threw the pass when he was across the line of scrimmage so it was an illegal forward uh pass from matt ryan but yeah julian love looked good which is excellent because he wasn't playing a lot of snaps at all the, the first two games of the season, and I'm trying to pull up his snap count in this game right here. Julian Love played 20 snaps, which isn't even that much, but every time he was out there, you seemed to kind of notice him, whether that be him in the slot or him in the box kind of filling and being aggressive. He was always a very, very good tackler, to be honest. But Dan, man, on this drive, how'd you appreciate the Falcons lining up like 1990s football and 21 personnel <laughs> I formation? Did you like that? I uh... <laughs> I don't particularly like that. You know how I feel about that type of style. I think you got to be spreading it out 
Um, I think you got to be doing what McVay does for the most part with the Rams and some other great coordinators around the NFL. But it seemed to be their game plan. I mean, Arthur Smith understands at this point of Matt Ryan's career, he's very limited in what he can do down the field, especially with that offensive line playing the way that that offensive line is playing in pass protection for these long, you know, five, seven step drops. So maybe he just felt like that was his best way of generating offense in this specific game. Uh, but it was really interesting to see, like it was a throwback football for sure. Throwback football for sure, Dan. And on this drive too, man, New York, because Arthur Smith, he's a wide zone type of guy, similar to Sean McVay, but I guess they employ it in different ways, you can say. But New York was playing a 3-3-5. They had Julian Love as that hybrid safety linebacker, like you said. And on the first and 10 run, man, did you see Reggie Ragland? He saved a huge gain by occupying the weak side cutback lane against the Falcons. The way the Giants were playing against an I formation in a 3-3-5 formation can leave wide cutback lanes. So the linebackers have to be disciplined in their pursuit. And Ragland did a good job on both of those plays, two plays on this drive, ensuring that that cutback lane was not filled. One of them could have broke for a huge gain. I'm sure you saw that. And also on this drive, I liked what the Giants did on third and three in terms of having Bradbury and Meg coverage man everywhere he goes that's what that stands for all over calvin ridley and the rest of the d was in a zone match type of look bradbury made a great play to force an incompletion on that levels type of concept and uh also i think zacchaeus on that play was actually open behind jabril peppers who was playing linebacker and in front of xavier mckinney did you see that if matt ryan saw that that could have yeah. been a good shot 15 or 20 yard play there ryan missed some ryan missed some some process i was personally, I was disappointed in what I saw from Ryan. I don't remember him at this level. I guess this is just what it is right now, but yeah. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Giants football is finally back, and there's no need to exhaust yourself searching all over the internet to find New York Giants tickets anymore, because TickPick, that's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K, is the original no-fee ticket site and the only one you'll ever need as your go-to for all NFL tickets. TickPick got rid of all those awful service fees that the other sites charge which lets them guarantee the best prices on all their NFL tickets. Don't believe it? If you can find better prices for the same seats on another ticket site, 
TickPick will give you 110% of the difference in the purchase price. That's right. You guys ever want to just go and see Saquon Barkley hit a 60-yard run? You know I do. Daniel Jones, fine Sterling Shepard, Kenny Galladay, Darius Slayton deep. Well, if you guys want to see that live, please go and visit TickPick.com and use the promo code BANTER. That's TickPick.com slash BANTER. To use that today, you can save $10 on your first order of the Giants tickets that you desire. Please check that out. It's tickpick.com slash banter. It seemed like, yeah, it just seemed like he, he had Zacchaeus open and Jabril Peppers, Jabril Peppers just doesn't have great spatial awareness at this point, to be honest. And this entire game plan by Arthur Smith was so run oriented and so conservative. It's so ironic that both of these coaches just were trying to out conservative each other and Joe Judge ended up <laughs> losing losing that affair. But Zacchaeus, man, he he breaks over the middle of the field on that third down, but Ryan wanted the one-on-one matchup with James Bradbury against Ridley. I guess he saw how Terry McLaurin was taking it that James Bradbury thought Ridley could do that, but Bradbury did an excellent job, which he always does, kind of getting his fist into the catch point and knocking the ball away, which was huge. And like you said, man, if Matt Ryan saw Zacchaeus there, big play. Jabril you just wish Jabril Peppers was just, uh, I don't know. He's, he's baiting, man. He's sugaring that A-gap. He's bailing to his own. He's looking for the underneath route at the sticks. And I get it. There's it's the levels concepts. So you have two double ins and then, a, and then a post route over the top. But nobody takes that post route. It's not passed off to McKinney, who's way too far off the line or way too far in depth at that point. So no middle hook defender is there to kind of eliminate 17. Lucky Ryan did not see it. Yep. No doubt about it. All right. Let's move on. Oh, that third series? This one I thought the first down play, Ryan missed really badly on a wide open receiver. Again, a lot of knocks on Ryan this pod, but deservedly so, in my opinion. He did not have a great game. What else did you see from this third drive? Falcons missed on that opportunity, man. They really did to connect with Zacchaeus. Peppers, I think on that play, also had a miscommunication, which I guess we're just railing on Peppers right now. But this was a play where... He had a bad game. He had a really bad game. He deserves to be railed. Not really bad, but a bad game. He did. And there's little things like this, man. Like like on this play, the number two receiver, it's a tight reduced kind of split, a little bit more space between the two receivers to the field. And the number two receiver on that side releases inside on an OTB type of route, which means over the ball. So you basically just run like five yards on an angle and then stop over the center and turn and show your hands to the quarterback. And Peppers ends up chasing and kind of attaching to that route. Tate Crowder replaces his original alignment and takes Cordero Patterson who's releasing out the line of scrimmage. And Pepper sees Cordero Patterson release, and then he goes back to Cordero Patterson and leaves Zacchaeus wide open on this play. And Tay Crowder, after you could see him like kind of hitting his fists and like yelling at Peppers a little bit, like you have to switch there. You have to allow me to take your assignment if you're going to fully commit to Zacchaeus like you did. And Peppers, I mean, that could have been another disastrous type of mistake there, but it was a misconnection for Matt Ryan. So luckily for the Giants and Matt Ryan and Zacchaeus just not being on the same page, more so Matt Ryan than Zacchaeus. But Peppers, man, these little mental errors, dude, they, they, they pop up on film, man. They, they do, and it's a little bit frustrating. The mental errors pop up on film, like you said. That was the big thing we talked about before the pod, the mental errors from, from Peppers that we, we're not fully used to seeing. And more and more, they're popping up on film. But it's also just the athletic. It's not the athleticism. It's like in coverage, he's just not great man coverage. Like he he got blown up by by that release by Pitts at the end of the game. And that's not something new for him. Like 
He was better last year in coverage. He made strides, but there was mostly when he was being used in like those two or single high looks. He's better from that, you know, in that range. But I don't love him up in the box in those man coverage spots. I think they really need, we, we said this on the last podcast, Washington, I believe, or the one before that, Denver. They need to find a new solution there, whether it be bringing McKinney down. I know you don't want to do that, but you might have to because he did that a little bit at Alabama and he was pretty good at it. Or trying someone like Love or hopefully, you know, eventually the rookie Robinson when he comes back in. They're just, they have to figure out a different solution because I just don't think uh, Peppers is the guy for that role. No, it doesn't seem like it. But at, at this point, I don't know who's going to be better if you're going to utilize Xavier McKinney in the role he's in and then Logan Ryan in the right. role he's in. Which I feel like both those guys are are, are doing well in their roles. Yeah, well, there's going to be mistakes every now and again, but they, they, they're still doing well in in those specific roles. The third down play from the Falcons, I mean, it was two man under from the Giants. So you have two safeties taking the deep half man coverage across the board, three by one set. And this is the way you defeat man coverage. I mean, we were talking about it before. You have the number three receiver. I think it's Kyle Pitts. Just kind of release and attack the outside shoulder of the the defender covering him, which is a Dory Jackson. And then you send Calvin Ridley underneath on a pivot route forcing James Bradbury, which I believe is James Bradbury. It might be Rodarius Williams to flow over the top of the release of Kyle Pitts, and then you just pivot back outside, and who's there to cover you? There's nobody there to cover you, and it is James Bradbury. So Ridley catches the ball, and it's kind of a bad pass. He has to kind of wait for Matt Ryan to throw it, and then he has to turn his body to catch it, and it, everybody just rallies to the football, and Xavier McKinney reads this from the deep half and explodes downhill to make the tackle before the sticks and force a punt. That's a really good play by Xavier McKinney, and that's a really, really good man-beater by Arthur Smith, just lucky for the Giants that they had it all covered up and rallied for the tackle, which is something they do well. Yep, no doubt about it. All right, let's move on. Fourth series. Now we have a situation where the Giants start this game off. Falcons go three straight series without points. Then on this series, once again, it's one final series without points here. Great job by the Giants defense, really starting the game off here with four series like this. Um, My favorite play from this drive was the play by Julian Love to knock the ball out. Uh, I thought that was an excellent individual play. A really good game, I thought, from Love in his limited snaps. What stood out to you about this fourth series where they, uh, again, forced a punt? I felt like throughout the game, the Giants were bringing well-timed safety blitzes, typically to the field side. And they were even doing it against the I formation. But they surrendered the one good 11-yard run to Cordero Patterson where Atlanta ran to the Giants or ran to their strength. And the Giants only had a 2-I technique and an 8 technique on the outside shoulder of the tight end to that side. But the very next play, New York was like, all right, you're not going to run on us. We're going to align in a tight front. Dexter Lawrence at nose. Austin Johnson as the 4-I to the strength. And Leonard Williams as a four technique to the weak side. And I love the tight front, Dan. You know, you could sit there and you can play gap and a half style defense. And what I mean by gap and a half, the defenders don't necessarily penetrate. They more so clog up the interior gaps and allow the linebackers to flow. They have their primary gap responsibilities, the defensive linemen, but they also position themselves to play their backside gap. The running back decides to cut back. This gives the linebackers more freedom to pursue Spills everything outside, like we always talk about stretching the runs horizontally rather than north and south. It's a great way to play these outside zone run teams, something that Smith used a lot with the Titans and Derrick Henry, and he also employed a lot in this game with Mike Davis and Cordero Patterson. And I also love the third and 10 defensive call. I had that three deep pre-snap double buzz, one deep look with man coverage underneath, protect the sticks and play man coverage underneath. I also wanted to kind of bring up Darius Williams, man. He's out there. 
and he's manning up on Kyle Pitts. And he played 17 snaps in his game. And I got to ask you, Dan, I know I'm kind of dropping a lot on you, but what the heck is going on with Darnay Holmes? It was weird to see Rodarius in this game for sure. I don't know if that's them trying something out. I don't know if it was game plan specific. Obviously, he had the penalty, which I thought was, by the way, not a bogus call, but it was pretty close on that penalty. Hard to exactly tell what the reason was, but definitely not a great sign for Darnay Holmes, I would say. No, and he also was, it's not an injury because I think he played like seven snaps on special teams, something that he doesn't usually play. So the Giants were using him because he was dressed on special teams. I think he only played one defensive snap and he just got benched after that. So, I mean, that sucks for Darnay Holmes. I mean, he's somebody that I feel like has had an up and down career so far. I love his athletic profile. I don't like his size, but it doesn't seem like he's pleasing the Giants coaching staff at this moment. All right, now we get to the fifth series. This is the one Giants finally give up points on. They go four straight defensive series without giving up a single point. They don't even think the Falcons crossed the 50-yard line on those first four series. That's how good the defense was. Finally, we get that helmet-to-helmet call on McKinney. I know you want to say a piece about this. You didn't love this. What's your thoughts on that? I just It was a bad call. It was a shoulder-to-shoulder. It's just a really, really hard hit in a violent game. There was no helmet hitting any helmet there. I don't even believe the shoulder hit the helmet. It's just the game of football is so catered towards the offense right now. It sucks being a defender. And I'm not trying to blame the refs or anything, but if that call isn't made, the Falcons probably don't end up scoring this touch. That was a huge call in this game, and it was kind of bogus. And I understand that the game happens so quick, and it might look like helmet to helmet. It's almost impossible to to see that. But man, dude, you just wished that there was a, a better way to make these calls. I know that they tried the replay and everything like that, which was somewhat of a disaster uh, from the NFL. But those are game-changing calls right there, man. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it, in my opinion. Yeah, I think it's an anticipation issue. The refs are really just anticipating. They're they're from so far when they're throwing that flag. They they see the guy coming in. It they're like, ah, oh, is that helmet to helmet? But you're right. There needs to be a better process for it because he he it's not a helmet to helmet, and it changes the game. Fifteen yards there, it really does. And it's on Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan leads him into this. So it's a horrific throw by Ryan. He doesn't he doesn't anticipate the safety coming down. He could get his player injured, hurt really like badly on that play. Just really bad stuff from Ryan, like old quarterback type stuff, the type of stuff you used to see in the back end of Eli's career and you're seeing from Roth this year. Just slow processing, a step slow with everything. But after that, there was a really nice coverage play by Bradbury in the red zone I thought was awesome. And then finally, though, I love the design by the Falcons for the red zone touchdown. That's a play I, I would love the that Jason Garrett to just see on film and be like, I'm stealing that. I'm putting that in my back pocket. I'm going to use that when we're in the red zone at some point. What did you think of that touchdown they schemed up in there? Yeah, man coverage. They get man coverage. You have both safeties kind of just matching the routes of, uh, I believe they're looking at Kyle Pitts and Calvin Ridley and helping out the underneath defenders and just kind of keeping the play in front of them, seeing what defenders need help and kind of attaching themselves to that those defenders because you have two-by-two two set here, man coverage across the board. But you take Cordero Patterson and you run him behind Matt Ryan, which clears out the middle of the field. Tay Crowder is going to follow his assignment, Cordero Patterson. So now there's no one in the middle of the field. You have Calvin Ridley release outside through Rodarius Williams' outside shoulder, and you have a lot of traffic there right now. So you have that release, then you have Tay Crowder running on the same direction towards Cordero Patterson. And the player who's supposed to be tr- covering Zacchaeus is James Bradbury, who's outside of 
Calvin Ridley. So Calvin Ridley releases outside, traffic there. You have Tay Crowder in traffic, traffic there. There's no way James Bradbury can get to Zacchaeus, who has, utilizes a delayed release and just kind of goes OTB over the ball right in the middle of the field where the vacated Tay Crowder is no longer. And it's just an easy pitch and catch touchdown at that point. Just a simple man beater, create traffic and pick the cornerback from executing his assignment. And that's exactly what happens here. Yep. Excellent play call by them. All right, let's move forward here. Six series. This is right after the Ingram fumble. Here comes the really nice move and finish by Aziz Ojolari for the sack force fumble. Break that one down for us. Yeah, Dan, if you watch those two plays from Aziz Ojolari, the play before the sack and then the sack, you could see how excellent Aziz Ojolari sets up this pass rushing move. So the first play, he releases vertically from a wide nine position and really stresses Caleb McGarry's outside shoulder kind of breaks the wrist of Caleb McGarry and tries to use a long arm. McGarry kind of easily glides him up the arc, but Ojolari is trying to use speed to bend the edge there. So keep that in mind, right? The very next play, Aziz Ojolari goes for the same type of move against Caleb McGarry, like he's releasing outside from the same type of alignment, but he presses kind of inside to the middle part of Caleb McGarry after vertically releasing up the arc and uses a hard double swipe move on the inside arm of Caleb McGarry to further the momentum of Gary McGarry up the arc and then goes inside. So he just basically baited him with that vertical rush initially, showed the same thing early in the rep, and then used a very powerful two-handed swipe to get McGarry to further his momentum up that arc and then go right back inside to get the sack. Good inside move, great adjustment, and great awareness from Azizo Jalari to realize that he had McGarry right where he wanted him. And then he, what did he do? He adjusted his pass rush plan. He added another element to his pass rush plan, showed that same thing, went with the inside move, got the strip sack. That is a very savvy move from this neophyte pass rusher. Awesome breakdown right there. And just so great to see. Aziz is one of the bright spots right now on this Giants roster, without a doubt. Fun stuff to see there. Fun stuff to break down. All right, so they saved points there for the half, obviously. That was huge. That was huge. They needed that. Seventh series, first down, huge coverage sack here for the Giants. Break this one down. Yeah, you're right. William Sack was more coverage than anything else, but it's a great way to start this half. I mean, putting the Falcons into a second and 16 situation, defense was really kind of paying attention to Kyle Pitts on this play, on this drive with their safeties, using those trap type of situations, robber, everything like that. Kind of Logan Ryan encouraging Matt Ryan to kind of throw those tight slants. And the coverage was just really good here. Leonard Williams did a great job just spinning off of his blocker and locating Matt Ryan, who's trying to wait for one of these two routes to come open, but none of them do. The check down was also covered well by Reggie Raglan there. So it was a really just a collective sack more than just a Leonard Williams sack, but still credit to Williams for getting it. Now he needs what? He needs 10 and a half more before he gets to uh, his 2020 number. Yeah. Anything else you saw from that series that stood out to you? Not necessarily. It was a quick series by the Giants. And again, it was all started by that sack. I mean, you you come out first play in the half and sack the quarterback and put them into a crappy situation. You're setting your defense up for success because the very next play was what? A, a little in route to Hayden Hurst that was played excellently by Tay Crowder to break up the pass. And then he set up a third and long situation where it was just dumped off because Matt Ryan's basically backed up into his goal line, doesn't want to get sacked. So great overall defensive stand by the Giants. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. Very fun stand there. All right, let's move on to that next series. 
My favorite thing from this next series was the third down blitz call from Patrick M. What was your favorite part about this series? Again, I mentioned it before, man. Conservative coaches, you know, Judge punts the ball at the 39, and Arthur Smith comes out in this game and runs the ball four consecutive plays before attempting a play-action shot off the wide zone that was really well covered by New York, and I believe they used a Tampa 2 robber look on that play. And then that third and four blitz by Graham was great, and six-man pressure package with Lawrence as a three technique to the double blitzing side. And Lawrence kind of slants heavily inside to leave Caleb McGarry and Cordero Patterson to block O'Shane Zimenez, Tay Crowder, and Jabril Pepper. So a three-on-two look. Pep gets to the doorstep and nails Ryan, who was almost intercepted by Logan Ryan on this play, to be honest. And I mean, we talked a lot last week about pressure. We wanted more pressure from Patrick Graham. We got it in certain situations here, but that's an excellent scheme from Patrick Graham to utilize Dexter Lawrence to slant inside. And then you devise a blitz with their linebackers and Jabril Peppers, a three on two. It's a numbers game. Someone's going to be unblocked. And that's a way you end offensive drives right there is when you successfully manipulate the protection of the offense. Yep. Without a doubt, you did a great job of breaking that down. That was one of the play calls that stood out to me from this game. And really this defense at this point was just feeling it, man. I mean, we're just at, we're going over possession by possession and they're stopping them every single possession at this point. It's crazy. At this point, it's 14-7. But then comes that 15-place, 72-yard touchdown drive by the Falcons. Again, it's like Giants had control this whole game, but then all of a sudden they give up a touchdown. This drive had a lot of stuff that was bad, in my opinion. Logan Ryan's missed tackle on Cordell Patterson on that underneath route around midfield. That led to 15 yards they did not need to give up after the catch. Then they could have set up a third and long near the reds inside the red zone inside that tough place to to convert third and long especially from a guy like Matt Ryan who wasn't converting third and longs all game that offense was not good in third and long situations and you know there's nothing there great coverage Matt Ryan looks back to his right flips a ball across the field, really risky throw, got there to Mike Davis. Ryan is right there to make the tackle, misses the tackle. Davis gets six or seven, sets up for a third and four, where they just kind of run that inside slant for the easy first. Leads all the way to the final play, where again, it's Logan Ryan's name being called because here comes Matt Ryan, forced to escape the pocket. The coverage is great. He throws across his body, doesn't necessarily get much on the throw, and no matter what, he still gets that DPI because Logan Ryan pulls down Kyle Pitts there. And just really, that drive was a was a bad drive for the Giants, a bad drive for Logan Ryan. Yeah, I like the follow concept that Arthur Smith called with Cordero Patterson that went for 26 yards. I thought that really kind of sparked and set up this, this Atlanta drive just in general. But even after that, I mean... Giants had Atlanta in a second and 16 situation. Yes. Jabril Peppers, man, just has terrible positioning on Zacchaeus, Olamade Zacchaeus, and then he takes a terrible angle. All Zacchaeus does is run an out route. This should be like a, a you know, five-yard completion or something like that. And Zacchaeus ends up picking up 14 yards because Peppers' positioning <laughs> pre-snap is terrible. And then his angle after the catch was even worse, man. I mean, that was a terrible look by Jabril Peppers. And just little mistakes and little plays, like I said earlier, man, little mistakes by one player here and there can end up costing the Giants the game here. Peppers takes a better angle to Zacchaeus and forces, you know, a third and nine or a third and eight. It's a much better situation than a freaking third and two type situation. So the safeties on this drive, other than McKinney, were not great. Because like you said, Logan Ryan was terrible on this drive. And then you have the Adoree Jackson dropped interception as well, which is just another one where you just kind of want to go crazy. You know what I mean? It's uh, 
it's just overall, man, like in, in that situation, you have a player who was a punt returner, a kick returner in college, somebody who has great hands typically. Matt Ryan just gave him the game right there, threw it up in the air, and he ends up dropping the football. You have to catch that, man. You have to catch the football yeah. in that situation. You're right. You're you're 100% right about that, Nick. And it's a tough spot. There were a lot of dropped interceptions by the Giants. I don't want to say drop, but just like close interceptions. Those would have changed this game obviously big time as well. It's just one of those games, man, where <laughs> – it just seemed to not work out in the Giants' favor this game for whatever reason. They just couldn't seem to get it going. But ultimately, they move on. Obviously, they're going to have to move on from this one. And we finally get to that final drive. What happened on that drive? Because it looked like, like you said earlier, they came an inch away, Lorenzo Carr, from tipping that pass. That would have changed the whole play with Cardell Patterson. But it was a two. It was essentially a two-play drive, two really good plays that impacted the Giants there um, and just – Overall, just seems like in the end of these game situations, whether that be the two minute drill before the half or just the end of the game, like we saw against Washington last week and then Atlanta this week, the Giants defense seems to get, I don't want to say the word soft, but just not, they're not making the plays necessary. They're not. And I would say in the first half, that Xavier McKinney penalty that we went over was was a big part of that. But even still, you have opportunities to stop the team and you failed to. You let Lee Smith score that touchdown. And on this drive right here, or you'll let uh, Zacchaeus score the touchdown on that specific one. But on this drive, it was an excellent halfback toss fake. It gets the entire defense to bite. If you watch the film, which I know you did, everybody's going in that direction. You leave Lorenzo Carter on the backside where the screen is going unblocked. So you don't need to block Lorenzo Carter. You're just relying on the fact that he's not going to attack Matt Ryan or sink to to cover the screen pass. So that was, I don't want to say that's a mistake on Lorenzo Carter. It's just necessarily a reality. But Lorenzo Carter just misses the ball here. He almost tips it, knocks it down. That could have made difference in this game, but he doesn't. And then it's on Rodarius Williams to make this tackle. Rodarius Williams, you know, it's a screen pass. He, he, he bites down on the screen. You know, Jake Matthews gets out there quickly to kind of chip him, but he has to kind of get to the near hip of Cordero Patterson. He fails to. Patterson ends up taking it for a long, what was it? 20-something yard gain, I believe. 28-yard right. gain, something yeah. like that. And I think, uh, you know, Xavier McKinney chases him out of bounds. And then you have the seven route to Kyle Pitts, where you have Jabril Peppers inside leverage, I believe it was. I think it was a two-man under type of defense. The safety, you know, it's hard for him to kind of get to the sideline if he's playing, you know, half field. He doesn't know if Pitts is going to bend it inside or go on a seven route. So it's contingent on Jabril Peppers to ensure that he can – kind of carry Pitts's route and get to the outside if it is that route, but he's so far inside that that's not even possible. And Pitts easily catches the ball. And at that point, every giant fan just said, well, this game's over. And it was because young way <laughs> Koo ended up kicking that field goal. Right. Unfortunately. And there was no time left. All right, let's get to some superlatives with the defense. Let's wrap it up there. Um, talk about that and then dive into, uh, you know, maybe some, some things we want to say, just final thoughts on this defense. So we can start here with, the player or the unheralded player on the all 22 of the week. For me, it's Leonard Williams, just because a lot, he's taking a lot of crap on Twitter and just taking a lot of crap in general. I think a lot of the reason why he's not getting pressure is, is because of the game plan by Arthur Smith to not have Matt Ryan do a lot of five-step drops and got to put himself into a position where he can get sacked. I would agree that I think he needs to still deliver more pressure, but he was very, very good against the run. Please don't misconstrue what I'm saying. I'm acknowledging that he should get a little bit more pressure, but I do believe game plan also affected that as well. So I'm going to go with Leonard Williams here, and I may take some crap for it. Yeah, I think that's fine. I mean, like you said, he's. I don't think he should take some crap for it. I just think... 
Uh, some people might anyway, because that's that's the state of the, the people are looking for blood right now when it comes to the Giants. And rightfully so. This team has been really a source of frustration for a lot of us. I'm going to go with James Bradbury. I thought it was a nice bounce back game from James Bradbury. Some really great plays and coverage too, specifically the red zone one. Also, when we went over the PBU on the third down conversion try, uh, just like you said, played a lot of mag man coverage. Like he just looked more like the Bradbury we grew accustomed to last season. And so I thought that was excellent. Yeah, I love that. Too. That's who, that's who we need. We need that James Bradbury. We we really do desperately. Exactly. <laughs> to be honest, the one game you don't maybe need somebody like that is the upcoming game against the Saints, where they don't really have a powerful type of receiver. But uh, having him is definitely good. <laughs> yeah, no doubt about it. All right, let's get to the all twenty-two coaches play of the week from Patrick Graham. For me, it's the third down call that uh, I went over a little bit before it was a third and 10 they double buzz the safeties down the line of scrimmage they they initially align like single high middle of the field close but two safeties basically playing the sticks they stay there they ensure that no in-breaking routes digs slants uh are successful because i feel like that's been a problem with the giants defense all season they really give up a lot of space between the safety and the linebacker so you play man coverage with two zone defenders near the sticks and one guy deep i like that call Yep, that's mine too. So great call on that one. Give me the player who struggled the most to you on film. I'm going to go with Jabril Peppers, to be honest. I mean, I think you're going to go with somebody who is uh, plays the same position as Jabril Peppers, if I'm not mistaken. But yeah, Jabril Peppers, to me, just miscommunications out of position, getting torched in man coverage, and just not being the player that I feel like he could be. Yeah, I'm going to go here with Logan Ryan. Like I said, some missed tackles, some missed interception opportunities. Didn't play all that bad besides those mistakes, but those mistakes were big, especially on the one drive where they scored a touchdown with the two missed tackles and then the DPI. So not the best game from him by any means. Give me your best defensive play, a single play from this game. It's the Aziz Ojolari sack for me just because everything I broke down before, the setup before the sack, realizing what Caleb McGarry was trying to do and then developing a counter move to defeat what McGarry was doing. That is a savvy move from a rookie pass rusher who has three sacks in three games. Yeah, on pace for uh, 17 sacks. That'd be fun. I go with the Bradbury third down PBU. Ridley really ran a nice route on that. He was open, as open as he could get on that. The ball was right in his hands and... Bradbury comes up and just bats it right out of his hands. We saw it a lot last year with those PBUs once the receiver had it in his hands. Bradbury does an excellent job, not only with the spatial awareness type stuff like we saw in that Washington game with the pick, but also just with reading the receiver and just kind of getting his hand right at the catch point, right at the right time to bat it out. So good example of that on this play. Rate the pass rush 1-10, to Nick. I have a 6.1 for the pass rush. I mean, they ended up getting home three times. And like I said, I think they may have gotten home more if the Falcons were a little bit more aggressive, but they had a very conservative offense overall. I, I look at 6.1 and I'm like, should it be less? Because there were plays where I was like, come on, guys, get off your block. What are you doing? Like, I want to see more from Dexter Lawrence. I feel like there are plays that jump out on film and correct me if, if I'm wrong here, Dan, or if you haven't seen this, where Dexter Lawrence is literally driving an interior offensive lineman back into the pocket, but he's not separating from that lineman. He's not getting off and he's not getting the sacks, but like he's getting some interior pressure. So I really hope this big guy gets home soon, man, because you can just see the power and explodes and explosiveness from this guy. 
Yeah, I'm with you, man. And this is one of Dave's big assets. You know, 17 overall is a big pick. You need a lot of production at a 17 overall if you want a winning roster. Like, if you want an okay roster, you can get this kind of production. But you need a lot more, in my mind, from a pass rushing standpoint. He obviously impacts the run game well. I agree with you. I'm looking to see more from Dexter Lawrence in the passing game. They need more from him desperately. I mean, that draft had three first-round picks. Daniel Jones, Dexter Lawrence, and DeAndre Baker is off the team. And quite frankly, not making an impact elsewhere. So just ultimately could just be not the best pick anyway there, um, even if he was still playing with the Giants. So I'll give the pass rush a 5.8, similar to you there. Rate the pass coverage, because I have a high grade. I thought the pass coverage was excellent in this game. It was. I had a 7.9 just because in some key situations, one player didn't do well and the offense was able to exploit said one player. And that happened a couple different times. But I think 7.9 is fair, but I'd be fine with even a little bit more because I think overall the coverage was really good in this game. Yep. All right. Give me a run defense ranking grade. What, what was your ranking? You never said. Oh, I'm sorry. For me, it was 8.4. I have a super, I had a super high rating there. So 8.4 there for me. Good, good. Yeah, my run defense is eight. I have eight flat, you know, going back to the old non-decimal system right now, Dan. But yeah, I, I have an eight. I feel like they were able to contain a team that really wanted to run the football, desperately wanted to run the football. Patrick Graham was adjusting his fronts to stop them from running the football. And that was, I would say, relatively effective as well. So I'm going to say eight. I feel like there were a lot of individual good plays, some from Austin Johnson, a lot from Leonard Williams. But uh Losing Blake Martinez and being able to adapt after that loss, Tay Crowder filling in pretty darn nicely as well. I think all that considered, an eight is a fine score. That's cool. I'm going seven nine, so we're basically on the same point uh, point there. For the most part, they were just pretty shut down on the run defense. One final thing before we sign off that I wanted to point out from your notes I thought was interesting. And you get a touch a t- chance to touch on. You said just a general overall take. This is this is Nick Filato. I'm quoting you, by the way, just so that people know it's not coming from me. Said Atlanta's interior protection was really focusing on Leonard Williams, Dexter Lawrence in this game, often scheming three on two to force the edge players to defeat the tackles. The use of Coughlin as a penetrator on obvious passing downs was used to open up loops for Williams. So just something to keep in mind there, like from the from the standpoint of this might be something we see moving forward with teams kind of scheming to ch- just for the Giants to beat them off the edges. So could create more opportunities for Ojolari, could create more opportunities for Carter, and hopefully we can see them start to step up and with more, you know, with more opportunities like that. I hope so. And that wasn't consistent throughout the entire game. I, I wrote that after a couple of drives because I realized it. And then there were times the Giants would adjust things and then the Falcons okay. would adjust things. But yeah, overall, I mean, if the if the Falcons had an opportunity to allow their guards to help their center or their center to help their guards, which is typical, and not slide protection in one direction because there was no blitz threat, then they were perfectly content with allowing Caleb McGarry against Lorenzo Carter or Aziz Ojolari and allowing Jake Matthews against the same, or if you want to throw O'Shane Zimenez in there as well. Like they were totally content with that because if you're going to stop the Giants pass rush, it starts with Leonard Williams. And it also starts with Dexter Lawrence after Leonard Williams. So I would say Lorenzo Carter and Zizo Delari, they're the, the they're second fiddle to those two beasts up front. Now, can Zizo Delari do enough to kind of shift focus to him? I haven't seen that quite yet, but he's off to a good start to allow that conversation to happen for offensive coordinators. But man, Leonard Williams is a beast, bro. So offensive coordinators are going to be focused on him. Yep, no doubt about it. All right, that's all we have today in the defensive podcast. Thank you again for liking us on iTunes, for leaving us a rating and review, checking us out on YouTube, Instagram. Have a great rest of your week, and we will talk to you soon.
Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.